So we are uh, continuing our sermon series in the book of Ephesians. We've been looking at a passage in each chapter for the last few weeks now. Um, So we've done chapters 1 to 4. And, um, you know, really, if you've you've been tracking with us in this series, then you you may have noticed that when we were talking, each, each sermon has been geared towards the church as a whole. And Paul, when he wrote this letter, he was writing it to a church, to a corporate body. In the first sermon, we talked about how Paul was so excited about telling the church about what it means to be a church, what it means to be in Christ Jesus, that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have access to every spiritual blessing that is available. That's awesome. And he was excited about it, and we talked about that in the first week. We talked about the dividing walls have come down because of what Jesus has done. And so the church isn't a new dividing wall that divides us against them. It's an invitation into what God is doing. Come and see what God is doing. That's what the church is. We talked about the power of prayer, the power of a praying church and the types of prayers that we ought to pray as a church. Last week, Lori spoke on unity. We spoke in Ephesians 4, verse 1 to 16, about the unity that we have in the church. And today we're going to look at a passage in Ephesians 5. And again, this is a passage that is addressed to the church as a whole. Now, of course, we can glean from the scriptures, from Ephesians, and we can receive personal messages, personal uh, teachings through Ephesians, through the text, Uh, But it was written, really, for a corporate body. And so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. And this is what it says. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let's pray. Father, we just want to ask you at this time to open our hearts and our minds and our spirits to what you have to say to us this morning. And God, this might be a challenging message for some of us this morning, but Lord, I ask that you would bring conviction, not condemnation. That you would bring encouragement to do things your way, because it's truly the better way. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that passage, the part that jumped out at me was actually verse 4. And there's a reason why verse 4 stood out to me. It's because it seemed totally out of place. 
Here's what Paul wrote in verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Now, here's the interesting thing about this passage, okay? It comes after Paul talks about sexual immorality. It comes after Paul talks about impurity. It comes after Paul talks about coveting. Serious issues are being dealt with here. And then all of a sudden, it's like, don't joke. And it's like, what? Like, where did that come from, right? What's Paul talking about? It's like a fitness instructor going like, okay, these are the important things, okay? Cardiovascular training is important. Resistance training. You got to lift some weights. And uh, yeah, you got to brush your teeth. And it's like, what? What? This, this, This doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't, seems out of place especially since Paul is mentioning serious issues before this verse and after this verse. So what is he talking about? Well, like many passages in Scripture, it helps us to dig a little bit, to do a little bit of study into the meaning of the words. So when we do a little bit of Greek study, that was the language that this, the Bible was originally written in called Koine Greek or Classical Greek. We can call it Biblical Greek. When we do some, a little bit of Greek study, we get a little bit of a better understanding as to what Paul meant. So let's do that, shall we? We're going to do a little bit of a Greek lesson today, all right? First of all, I want to look at the word for foolish talk. In Greek, the word for foolish talk is Morologia. Let me hear you say morologia. Morologia, literally translated foolish talk, can also mean gossip. Gossip. Gossip is the idle talk about the personal or private affairs of others. Gossip is considered foolish talk. Now, when we kind of, when we hear that, we're like, oh, okay. Now it can be, now we can get a better understanding as to why Paul used, well, he used the word filthiness to describe gossip. And it's true. Gossip can be very filthy talk. Now the second word I want to look at in Greek is the word for crude joking, which is eutrapelia. Let me hear you say eutrapelia. I'm saying Greek like I'm Greek, you know. <laughs> Thankfully Nick's not here. <laughs> Anyways, um, eutropelia is an interesting word. It means imprudent speech. But this word was used to basically talk about a person who turns any conversation into just crude joking, can turn any conversation into a gossip fest, speaking very crudely about others. Maybe you've met someone like that or have had a conversation with someone like that. Maybe you could be talking about going to the Elmira Maple Syrup Festival, which is happening this coming Saturday, by the way. Looking forward to that. I like the Elmira Maple Syrup Festival because it's a sign of spring, you know? And I love maple syrup. But, so you could be talking about the Elmira Maple Syrup Festival with someone. Hey, you know the Elmira Maple Syrup Festival is coming up on Saturday? And all of a sudden they're like, oh, that reminds me, this person's mom is just like blah, 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 blah. It's like, what? Where did that come from? What, what we, we're talking about my maple syrup here, and you just, what, what's that? That's kind of what it's talking about, what this word is talking about. And so Paul is saying that this type of talking 
it's out of place in the church. Okay? It's out of place. That kind of talk must not exist among the body of Christ. Instead, Paul says, this is how we should talk to each other. He contrasts gossip, foolish talk, crude joking. He contrasts it with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Instead, give thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, in essence, is God-centered speech. I mean, that's why the Word of God says, give thanks in all circumstances, 1 Thessalonians 5. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. In thanksgiving, we are constantly being mindful. When we are being thankful, we are being mindful of God, of all the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the love of God, the provision of God. We're being mindful of that. And out of that, out of the mindfulness of God, out of that God-centeredness, we speak out of whom we value the most, God. And God becomes the lens in which we view the world, the way we view others, the people around us. Have you ever met someone who is oozing God in their lives? I mean, everything, everything they talk about, to God be the glory. God is awesome. I mean, talk about turning conversations for the bad. These type of people, they turn conversations to God. You could be talking about Elmira Maple Syrup Festival. Oh, God is so good. You know, God did this. And it's like, wow. Why do they do that? Because they are filled with God. They have God at the center of their lives. God is their focus. When someone does wrong to them, or someone does something foolish, they're like, God bless them. They must be going through something. Let's pray for them. Have you ever met somebody like that? Unbelievable. It's God. God is at the center of their lives. When they're driving and someone cuts them off, they wave. Have you ever seen these people? They wave. They say, oh, bless you. Yesterday, I was driving my in-laws to the airport. Toronto traffic, oh, man. And uh, they're, they're on a... They're, they're flying out on vacation, and uh, I, I, I told them I would drive them to the airport, and I'll pick them up. Anyways, I was driving. This is partly my fault, okay? I was driving in the, the fast lane, the, the passing lane, you know, the, the far left lane, but like cruising, going like 100, 110 maybe. I don't know, just <laughs> slow. Anyway, I was going slow. This is no-no. I mean, I would say it's a no-no <laughs> if I was behind someone like that. But anyway, so I was just driving, and somebody you know, was, was tailgating me, and then at the first chance, they went, ee, ee, and they went right in front, and, and as they pulled in front, they waved a choice finger. Uh, can't do it in church, but uh, they sped off. Now something just rose within me, you know, and I'm like, oh, and then I'm like, wait a minute, I'm preaching this sermon tomorrow. <laughs> Bless you. Bless you. You must be in a real hurry. Bless him, Lord. And so I was able to do that then, okay? Not always able to do that. But there's some people that are able to do that all the time, you know? And it's like, wow, that's so amazing. When it's because they're testifying to something that they have inside of them. God is inside them. 
And they're so mindful of God that when they speak, it exudes thanksgiving, praise. It's beautiful. Paul is admonishing the church, encouraging the church to be God-centered in speech. Because on the other hand, gossip is not God-centered speech. It's self-centered speech. Through gossip, people look at others. They look at the faults of others, the imperfections of others, the actions of others. And whether they know it or not, they cast judgments. They say, I, I wouldn't. It start, you know, judgment starts with, I wouldn't do that. Or I wouldn't be like that. That's where it starts. It's self-centered speech. And when that exists in the church, it's out of place. Now, I want to zoom out a bit from verse 4. And let's look at the surrounding verses there. Verses 3 and 5. This is what it says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Notice that Paul sandwiches the teaching of gossip in between talking about sexual immorality. On both sides, he sandwiches that teaching. Why does he do that? Well, to better understand why Paul's doing that, it would be helpful for us to understand the cultural context into which Paul was saying this. Who was Paul speaking to? Who was he speaking to? Now, I just got to say this. Of course, the Word of God is for us today. God speaks to us through His Word. It's amazing when that happens, right? When you read the Word and all of a sudden this passage jumps out at you, we talk about this at the Hearing God Seminar, how Scripture just illuminates in your spirit. Something happens inside. You have a peace that you cannot understand because of this one passage you read. It speaks into your whole being. God absolutely speaks to us through His Word. It is for us today. But at the same time, when Paul wrote this, he had an intent of writing it to the Ephesian church, living in first century Ephesus, into that culture. And so we need to look a bit at that culture. Well, let's look at their culture a little bit. Now, in those days, throughout the Roman Empire, throughout Asia Minor, there was a widespread religious movement, a cult, very widespread, um, and it's centered around the worship of a god named Dionysus. Here's a picture of uh, depicting Dionysus from 6th century BC, so he was around way before Jesus. Uh, the, the, the Greeks, the Romans, they worshiped this god, and as you can see, he's holding a cup of wine, and that's because Dionysus was the god of wine and the god of religious ecstasy. Here is a picture of a temple in modern-day Lebanon where people went to worship the god of wine. Now, what people would do is when they gathered in the temple, the, the, the worshipers of Dionysus, what they would do is they would drink the wine that was there. And they thought that this wine was prepared by Dionysus himself. And so, so they would go, they would drink and drink and drink until they got intoxicated. And it was believed 
that in that state of mind, they were one with Dionysus. So when they were intoxicated, when they were in their drunken stupor, they were filled with Dionysus. That was the belief in those days. And when they were filled with Dionysus, they would do all sorts of things, all sorts of acts, in particular, sexual acts, sexual orgies, sexual impurity of many different kinds. Now, to us, when we hear this, we're like, wow, that seems atrocious, right? The people in Rome, but for the people in Rome and Asia Minor who worshiped Dionysus, this was normal behavior. This was normal religious activity. And in Ephesus, the worship of Dionysus existed in Paul's day. So for the church, there would have been some converts to Christianity in Ephesus who were former Dionysus worshipers. And some scholars, they say that actually Ephesians 5 was written to target these new converts from Dionysus. And there's a reason why Paul wrote this in chapter 5, just a few verses later from this passage that we're reading, in chapter 18, or verse 18, this is in verse 18, this is what Paul says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now it puts things into context. Wow, right? In other words, what Paul was saying was, to the Ephesians, these new converts, Don't get drunk with wine and get filled with Dionysus like you used to. It's not even true. It's actually debauchery. It's actually excessive self-indulgence. That's what you're doing. Instead, be filled with something better. The Holy Spirit of God is better. It's real. What you're doing is not real. What we have is real. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul was saying. Paul was combating the Dionysus cult practices. And when he's talking about the sexual immorality, he's saying, listen, you thought that that was okay. In fact, you thought that that brought you closer to God, but that doesn't. Far from it. It's out of place for a follower of Jesus to act that way. And in chapter 5, verse 3, he says that that sin should not even be named among Christians. That is improper for the saints. Sexual immorality, which is sexual activity outside of God's intended union between husband and wife, is not to be found within the church because that's how God created it to be. Sex is not a bad thing. It's not a dirty thing. God created it. It's It's beautiful when it's in the right context. But when it's out of place, it can be devastating, destructive, It can destroy people's lives. And it does when it's out of its context. How many of you remember hearing about the Fukushima earthquake tsunami that happened six years ago, March of 2011? Devastating. Devastating what happened there. The earthquake struck uh, off the coast of Japan and a 15-meter tsunami came rushing into the coastal city of Fukushima, devastated the city, devastated the the nuclear power plant that is there. Now, here's a picture of a beach in Fukushima when everything's calm. Isn't that nice? Beautiful, right? God created the ocean. God created the ocean to have water in the ocean. 
When the water's there, it's great. It's beautiful. It's teeming with life. Look, look at the waves. You can go surfing, maybe. Maybe, maybe bodyboarding. I don't know about surfing. But anyway, you could, you could enjoy yourself there. Maybe not now. A lot of radioactive stuff floating around in there. But anyway, <laughs> you can enjoy the view. You can go for nice walks. Enjoy the sunset. It's beautiful when the water is where it's supposed to be, the way God designed it. But here's a picture of Fukushima when the tsunami hit. Okay. Water overflowed the banks. And as you can see, there are buses, cars, homes. People were swept away. The town was absolutely destroyed, devastated. Thousands of people lost their lives. Here is another picture okay, of the aftermath. That's a boat on top of a house, an apartment complex. It's not supposed to be there. It's out of place, totally out of place. You see, there are things in life that are good when they are in their rightful place. And when they are in their rightful place, they can be a source of tremendous blessing. However, when they are out of place, they can be absolutely destructive. And Paul is saying the way sexual immorality is out of place for a Christian, gossip is out of place for the church. Okay? And the reason is this. There is power in the words that we speak. Sometimes we may not realize it because it's just words, but there is power in the words that we speak. I could go on and on about this, preach an entire series on the power of words and what a misspoken word can do to a person's life. It can be, bring devastation into someone's life. I know of people who have eating disorders because of what was spoken over their lives. They have problems with their self-image because of foolish gossip that was spoken about their body image. It's sad. It's terrible because of words. I know of people who were told that they were never good enough, that they would never amount to anything, struggle with depression and self-esteem issues because of words. Church, words are powerful. They're powerful. They are destructive. They are also life-giving. Words have power. We have to be careful how we engage in conversation, especially in the church. Because here's the thing. As Christians, man, we could be so judgmental about each other. We could say such awful things. It's crazy. We need to stop that and start using our words wisely. Now, going back to Ephesians 5, we're going to zoom out a little bit more, and I'm going to look at the first two verses, verse 1 and 2 of Ephesians 5. This is what it says. By the way, this is the foundation for the rest of the chapter. Okay? We will also find the teaching on husbands and wives in chapter 5. It's in context with this passage in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God. Husbands, wives, we are called to imitate God. That's another sermon, though. 
Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The mark of a good student or a disciple is in the way they imitate their teacher. The mark of a good follower of Jesus is in the way we imitate Christ. What would Jesus do? What would he say? How would he say it? Imitate that. That is the mark of a wise student or disciple. Children imitate their parents. It's so cute. I remember my kids when they were a few months old. Like Owen there, you know, holding holding our child, and I'd, I'd be like this. I'd, I'd stick out my tongue, you know. And they'd, they'd look at me with these eyes and go, I'm like, wow, he just copied me, wow. So cool. We learned through imitation. We were designed to do that. We are to be imitators of God, church. Walking in love. That is in our conduct, but especially in our speech. Just the other day, I was on Twitter. I'm not normally on Twitter, but it just so happens that I was on Twitter. It's such a God thing. I, I found that Nikki Gumbel, Nikki Gumbel's the alpha man. He's the teacher on the alpha course. Um, he posted a tweet. I think it's called a tweet. Not a twit, right? Tweet? <laughs> tweet. This is what he, po- this is what he put. Okay. And he posted it on March 19th, on my birthday. I was like, what? What a birthday gift. I'm going to use this in the sermon. Awesome. He writes, before you speak, think. And he uses the word think as in an acronym to describe what we should do. Before we speak, think. T, is it true? Are the words that are coming from your mouth true? Especially if you're speaking about someone else. Is it true? In fact, is it something that you could say in front of that person? Is it? If not, don't say it. Or be prepared to say it in front of the person. H, is it helpful? Is what you are saying helpful to the person you are talking about? If not, don't say it. Is it inspiring? I, inspiring. Is what you are saying about someone Is it going to uplift them, encourage them, inspire them? Really, we should aim, all aim to have this type of speech come forth from our lips. Because God inspires, uplifts, and encourages us daily. We're not hearing that. We're hearing from the enemy. And is it necessary? Is the thing you are talking about actually worth saying? If not, consider not saying it. And K, is it kind? Is it kind? Are the words you are speaking kind words? If they are not, consider the damage your words can have. Because church, words are powerful. They are powerful, especially in the church. I mean, we are a body. We are a unit. We are one. We're one people. 
And when words are spoken in a manner that, are tr- that is true, helpful, inspiring, necessary, and kind, it can be a source of blessing in the body of Christ. It can bring us closer together. It can bring us closer to God. Make us stronger as a church. Become a healthy church. A healthy church. But when there is slander, gossip, crude, careless words, it's out of place. Those words can damage the body of Christ. It could damage our lives. It could damage our own lives as well. It's out of place. Now, to end, I want to read you two things. One is a powerful quote from Nelson Mandela. Amazing, amazing human. Man, amazing man. Former South African president, political prisoner, who was in prison for almost 30 years for the cause that he believed in. And the second thing I want to read to you is from the book of Proverbs. And from Nelson Mandela, this is what he said years before, or sorry, years after he was released from prison. This is what Nelson Mandela said about words. It is never my custom to use words lightly. If 27 years in prison have done anything to us, it was to use the silence of solitude to make us understand how precious words are and how real speech is in its impact on the way people live and die. Powerful, powerful words about the power of words. And finally, Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. You know, one thing I will say is this. I am tremendously encouraged here at Trinity because there's love. I believe we are a church that imitates Christ well in that area. It's because of the grace of God. It's because of the presence of God, the Spirit of God that is at work in our church that we are even enabled to walk in the love that we are able to walk in. Christian testified to the love. It's just... We were wired that way. I'm so encouraged by that. And over the years, I've been here five, going on five years. And I've received nothing but encouragement as your pastor, as a young pastor who knew nothing when I first started on what to do. God, what do I do? You've encouraged me. I know that we have what it takes to be a healthy God-centered church, especially in our speech. So with that, let's close in prayer. Father, you are good. The psalmists have written for centuries about your goodness that your steadfast love endures forever. Lord, you are good and your love endures forever. We thank you that the power of your love is evident here. Father, I ask that you would enable us 
both in conduct and in speech. Help us to imitate Christ in our lives as a church, as a body, not just here within Trinity Church, but the body of Christ in Waterloo Region, the body of Christ in this nation, that we would be a source of blessing through our words to lift up, to encourage, to build up, to send out the body of Christ in this nation for the advancement of your kingdom, for revival to spread all over this world. Enable us to walk in that manner, Lord, by your Spirit. Flood us with your presence. Fill us with your love. That in our speech, we would glorify and honor you in all that we say and in all that we do. We pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen.